Good morning. It's really good to be back in my second home. Um, the first one will always be Puerto Rico. Um, so I just say that so my mom wouldn't worry. Um, <laughs> she's probably watching. Buenos dias, ma. Um, so I'm just thrilled to be home. Um, it's such a pleasure for me, and I love to preach. The Word of God is really one of my favorite things to do. So would you stand with me in honor of God's Word? We are reading today from Genesis 41, verses 41 to 52. The title of this message is Fruitful in the Land of Suffering. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way. Thus he put in charge of the whole he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Saphana Panea and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. Each city... He put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. God, we thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. I thank you that I get to be here with my family today and we get to learn together the word of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you breathe life where things are dead, that you are an expert in resurrecting things that don't have life. I thank you, God, that you are in the business of speaking life and blessing and that you are in the business of resurrecting dreams. I thank you, Jesus, that you are good and we give you thanks and I pray that you will use everything about me, my accent and mannerisms to just preach the gospel and let it, the attention be all unto you. We glorify you, Jesus. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So a year ago, um, I left to start um, seminary at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. It's only a couple of hours from here. And so I left my job at UW-Madison. I was working there in the lab um, to go back to the classroom, but not as a professor like I thought it would be. Um, went back to the classroom as a student. And so you can imagine um, the change. <laughs> I went from being in the lab you know, working with my germs um, and my mice, um, which I happen to love, by the way, and to just going back um, to being a student and tackling just theological problems. And may I add, 
writing papers, after paper, after paper, after paper. And um, I mean, I was, I was terrified, I would admit, but I was also excited because I love studying and I was gonna be learning new things and this time I was gonna be diving deep into the Word of God, so what could be more exciting than that? But I must admit I was also miserable because I have left a place that I love, Madison. I had to leave my job, which I also loved. I left my boss, which I happen to also love. <laughs> um, everything, I love my colleagues. I love this place and I had to leave you all and that was heartbreaking for me. I love serving you so much. And I had to leave and I was there and I was miserable. I had this sorrow in my heart and I wondered if I had made the right decision. Except I knew that it was, and I tell you why. Because I didn't decide it overnight. I mean, I had to fight with God. <laughs> and all of you who know me knew how long this fight was and how difficult it was for me to take the leap and jump and go do this. But I knew that God was asking me to do so. And I, this decision was based in prayer. I sought wise counsel. I wept at Tom's office and at Greg's office and who knows how many other pastors. I, I mean, this decision, I knew that when we made it, it was... I had to be there. There was just, God didn't give me much option. So, um, but I, it turns out that I knew I was in the right place, but obedience is very costly sometimes. And I was, I had uprooted myself completely from this place that I love, from this city, and gone to this new place. And I was grieving, but in true Nidiaris fashion, I said, who has time to grieve? I got Greek vocabulary to learn, I have books to read, and I have papers to write. I got no time to grieve. These girls gotta be independent and strong. So I kept going along during the semester, even though I was in pain, and I went home for Christmas. And then when I returned this spring for school, I, the hustle starter, I took a couple of quizzes and I didn't get such a good score, which I'm not saying this to be boastful, but it's a rare occurrence because I study a lot. I spend all my time behind my desk, my books when I'm not working. And I was like, what is going on? It was a very odd situation. And so I knew what I found out was that this emotional outburst was not about the quiz. It was about all the grief that I had stored up and I didn't allow myself to feel. And now it was bubbling up and I was devastated. I was sad, lonely. I didn't know what to do. I was fighting back tears in the classroom and at work. I, I just couldn't lift myself up. And you guys, those of you who know me know how bubbly I am. I'm a bubbly person, joyous individual, and I just could not, could not pick myself up. And I kept studying, I kept working, but it was just the sorrow I felt was just too deep. I couldn't sleep. Um, it, was, it was difficult. So one night, after I finished my shift at the library, I, I went to the chapel 
It was like 11 o'clock in the night. I went to the campus chapel. And I sat there. I turned on the light. I sat there and I said, God, I am in so much pain. I, of course, use a lot more colorful language that I cannot repeat on Sunday morning. <laughs> but I was in, very, in a lot of pain. And I said, God, please. I am in sorrow. I'm in pain. I don't know what to do. I'm going to sit here and, and, and weep. Do something. And I know that maybe you're trying to teach me something with all this suffering, with all this, everything I feel. So even though I hate this place... I'm going to choose to sit right here in the pain just to make sure that whatever it is that you're doing, that you complete it so that I won't have to go through this again. Because you do know that when we refuse to learn the things that God is trying to teach us, we will be back in the safe spot. <laughs> Since I had learned that before, I decided I didn't want to go through the torture one more time. So I, I just said, God, please just sit here with me in the pain. Because I'm not going to make it through four years of seminary if you don't help me. At the time, I was taking my spiritual formation class with Dr. Sell. And Dr. Sell was going through the life of Joseph. And he was looking at it from a leadership development perspective. And he was telling us how Joseph probably didn't understand a lot of the things that he went through because he was being faithful. He was serving the Lord. He was doing the things that God has, had, you know, called him to do, using his gift, being faithful. So why all of the suffering? We will see how much he suffered. Um, and you're going to have to listen to the rest of the sermon to find out why. Um, but suffice it to say that Dr. Sell, when he was done, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me put it to rest. And I, I kept reading Joseph's story. And this verse that we just read just stuck out to me. Genesis 41:52. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. What did Joseph mean? I mean, Joseph, at the time he said that he was in his, in his 30s. So it was very clear to me that from a physical standpoint, he, was, he had plenty more time to be fruitful if you know what I mean. Plenty of time. But I don't think what he meant here had anything to do with his fruitfulness in terms of progeny, but it had to do with his character and with his gifts. So when I saw that, I'm like, God, you've got to be kidding me. I am in pain, and you want to talk to me about gifts and fruit? Really? Couldn't you pick a more convenient time? I gave you just about everything. I don't have the emotional capital to surrender anything right now because I gave you everything I had. My job, all the things that were in my apartment. I don't know anything. So what else do you want? It was, it was rough. We had, we had a rough going for a while there. And today, I just want to talk to you about what I learned um, from Joseph. So we're going to take a look at the gifts and character um, of Joseph at the, as they develop in this journey. So the first thing, uh, at his father's house, when we look at Joseph in his teenage years, he was 17 when this story started. 
So a young, young teenager. Um, he tended his father's sheep with his brother, with his father's flocks with his brothers. And it turns out that Joseph will come back and bring a bad report about his brothers to his father. And he was, on top of that, he was his father's favorite. We know that because, you know, his father, it was born, um, Joseph was born when Jacob was old. And also he made this beautiful robe for him that indicated not only his favor, but his status among the family. So it is no surprise that his brothers absolutely hated him. Well, if that was not enough, Joseph was also a dreamer. Um, and he had a couple of dreams. In one of those dreams, um, he dreamt of chiefs of grain that were bowing down to this one uh, chief of grain that remained standing. And in the other dream, there were 11 stars and the sun and the moon bowing down to him. And his family, of course, was mad about this dream. They interpreted the dream for him, like, where well, are you saying that one day you're going to rule over us? You know how the story turned out. Um, but let's take a look at, his gift, at Joseph's gifts and character in this time. We can see that it is the onset of his gifting. And why do I say that? Because we know that he could dream. So we could see how God might have been started to give him some sort of prophetic foresight. But we also know that he was very immature because he just said the first thing that came to his mind. He couldn't stop speaking carelessly. So his brothers, you know, hated him so much. <laughs> they decided they were going to kill him. But, you know, in God's providence, he didn't get killed and he got sold into slavery to Egypt. And in Egypt, he found himself at Potiphar's house. And Potiphar was the captain of the guard of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And listen to what Joseph did. In Genesis 39, 2-6, it says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of all of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household, in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. Joseph in Joseph's care, with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So one of the things that was under Joseph's care was Potiphar's wife. We will call her Miss, Mrs. Potiphar. So Mrs. Potiphar saw that um, Joseph was well-built and handsome. That's what the Bible says. And so she started making advances on him, but Joseph rejected her on account of his faithfulness to God and on account of his faithfulness to his master. He said, no, I am not doing that. I won't sin against God, and I won't sin against my master. So she started to make false accusations against Joseph, Mrs. Potiphar, that is. And Joseph ended up in prison because of these false accusations. Now, we will see how that turned out in a minute, but let's examine again Joseph's gifts and character. By now, we know a few things, and that is that Joseph is a very skilled administrator and leader right? Because when you think about Potiphar's house, 
he was the captain of the guard. So it is likely that Joseph had other servants at his, on his, under his charge and many, many things to take care of. So he had to be able to administer all of his master's um, goods and he had to be able to manage the people under his care. We also know that he had a moral compass because he had integrity. Um, when he, you know, he had every occasion to sin when, um, when Mrs. Potiphar started making advances and he rejected her. And we also see that he doesn't seem to be the immature kid that came from Israel anymore. Um, he had gathered some intelligence and some wisdom. So now let's go back to Joseph in prison. In Genesis 39, um, 20 to 23, it says, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So there, while he was in prison, he met two very important people from the house, from the court of the king, the baker and the cupbearer. And these two providentially had dreams. <laughs> and what did Joseph do? He came and interpreted them. And as a result of that, the baker died and the cupbearer went back to serve the king. And Joseph talked to the cupbearer and told him, listen, remember me when you go back to your job. Mention me to Pharaoh. Listen to what Joseph said. But when all goes well with you, he was talking to the cupbearer, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried, out, carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. So Joseph was not unaware of all the injustices that were done to him. But what happened? Genesis 40 says, The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Poor Joseph. So before we go back to that, let's think again about the gifts and character of Joseph in prison. Again, Joseph is showing his powerful gift of administration because the guard in the prison didn't concern with themselves with anything. We know that he's developing his prophetic insight because he's interpreting these dreams for the cupbearer and the baker. And he was faithful. Even in the middle of these very difficult circumstances, he kept serving and doing the things that were put in front of him. And I want to make a note, a quick pastoral note here to say that, that the fact that Joseph was serving and being faithful does not discount the pain that he went through. Because you see, when he was talking to the cupbearer, that he was very well aware that he was put in prison in a dungeon, to just quote Joseph, <laughs> um, unfairly. He was very well aware of the injustices that were committed against him. But even then, in the middle of that pain, Joseph was flourishing, even in the middle of the pain, even if he didn't know it at the time. Okay, so... The Bible tells us that Joseph was forgotten for two whole years. I mean, this cupbearer didn't remember him at all uh, for two years. 
And can you imagine what Joseph was feeling? I, I just, for two years, I wonder if he thought he was abandoned by God. I wonder if he thought that God had forgotten about the dreams that he had when he was a teenager. I wonder what happened to all of those dreams. I wonder if he was thinking that he would be in that dungeon forever, um, paying for something he didn't do. But it happens that the cupbearer remember him at the opportune time. You know what? Because Pharaoh, the king, had been having dreams. And what is Joseph good at? Interpreting dreams. So I just imagine that, you know, when the, when the Pharaoh was narrating his dreams to all of his magicians and all of the people in his kingdom, the cupbearer went like this, Listen, I know this dude. I met him in prison. He's a Hebrew, and he can interpret dreams. He interpreted one for me and the baker, and it just ended up exactly as he said. And so Joseph was summoned to the court of the king, and the king explained to him the dreams. The king had two dreams that were really only one. One is like there were seven slick and fat cows that were eaten by seven skinny and ugly cows. And the other dreams, there were like seven heads of healthy heads of grain that were growing out of just a single stalk. And those were eating by other seven heads of grain that were not so healthy. And when Joseph came to interpret this dream, he said, oh, yeah. What happened, that is only one dream. And what it means is that this land of Egypt is going to have seven years of plenty and abundance and seven years of famine. And so my counsel is that you appoint a wise and discerning man that can take these years of plentiful and safe and steward resources wisely so that you will survive in the seven years of famine. And I can imagine the Pharaoh went like, well, it turns out I ran out of magicians and I ran out of people in my kingdom. I can't see how anybody could do a better job than you at this. So he appointed Joseph as the second most powerful man in the entire land of Egypt. As one scholar said, he went from prison to prime minister in a matter of hours. And so it was now he finds himself in this position of power in the biblical portion we read today. And we know that he has authority because, as we read, he has the, the ring of the king, which means he had the seal of the king. He had the authority to sign things on behalf of the king. He had fine linen robes, a big gold medal. He got himself some big bling. Um, he had a new Egyptian name. He had a, a new wife. I mean, everything, he gained everything just in, the matter, in a matter of hours. Now, at this time, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of the king. Do you remember how old he was at the house of his father? He was 17. So let's do the math. Right? 13 years. 13 years he spent suffering injustice, in prison, and slave, doing everything that his masters ordered him to do before the big moment or before the purposes of God were revealed. 13 years. So I will ask you this morning, do you have any dreams that have been forgotten? Are there any ministries that you think the Lord might have forgotten about? 
I say, my friend, think again. It might not be too late. Now, we see in this position of authority, again, Joseph, we also see him functioning as an administrator. We see him functioning as a leader. Now, I'm going to ask you another question. Do you think he would have been ready for this if he had not administered Potiphar's house and the prison? I will submit to you that no, he wouldn't have. (laughs) So now we see that everything that Joseph learned when he was at Potiphar's house about administering things, about leading people, and everything that he learned in the prison about administering people and resources, now he gets to apply as the second most powerful man in Egypt. He wouldn't have been ready. How could he have been, could he have bear the weight of the responsibility of managing a whole country if he couldn't manage a household? So God was preparing him for this very time. I also like you to notice that now, Joseph could speak with intelligence and wisdom. He didn't say the first thing that came to his mouth. Now he could actually wait and speak with discernment and speak with wisdom. So all of those 13 years, what the Lord was doing was really molding his character, polishing his gifts, so that when the time came for him to assume the prime minister position, he was ready and able to bear the weight of such a huge responsibility of saving and managing the resources of a country in order so that they might survive in the seven years of famine. So I wonder if when, um, if when Joseph named his son Ephraim, which by the way means... It could mean several things, but one of the possibilities, it means twice as much fruit or um, fertile land or pasture land. Scripture doesn't say this, but I can imagine him thinking, wow, what happened to me was awful. I thought God had forgotten about me, but he was really preparing me so that the lives of many could be preserved. So I've come to tell you today, I've drawn two hours to tell you that your suffering is not wasted. That God might be preparing you for what is to come. That he might be empowering you you for future responsibilities that you don't even know about. So I invite you today to consider the whole journey. Can I have that picture up? Right, this picture was taken in Israel when I went with a group here from City Church a couple of years ago. And I was standing from a vantage point at the tomb of David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel. And it was a very high point. And I thought the desert before, the picture I had in my mind, I'm like, man, the desert is ugly. Like, there's nothing there. But as I was standing on that platform, the view was... It just took my breath away. You could see desert for miles and miles and miles, and you could see all these different shades of brown and all the shapes of the landscape, and you could see so far away. And I don't know what the rest of my group was doing, probably listening to the guide, which is what I should have been doing. But I was just standing there in awe of this desert, and I know that God was speaking And I kept thinking, man, this is beautiful. 
And God was like, do you think that the person that's walking in the desert thinks the same thing? <laughs> no. They, all, they are hot, they are sweaty, they are thirsty, and all they can see is a big blob of brown in front of them with nowhere to go. But what you are seeing, my daughter, is what I see. I look at things from a vantage point. I look at things from the high view of perspective. I can see the journey from beginning to end. I can see the middle. I can see all the crevices. I can see all the obstacles all at the same time. And consequently, that is what I can call the journey beautiful. Because I can see that regardless of how long it takes, there is a way out. It could take one year. It could take two. It could take ten. But even though it's hard right now, and the person walking in there in the desert can't really see a way out, and he's experiencing the very difficult, inhospitable conditions of the desert, I guarantee you there is a way out at some point, whenever God's perfect timing is. So when we say that God sees the whole journey, the whole journey we, call, we talk about the providence and sovereignty of God. He can see everything, my friends, from beginning to end, and nothing has escaped his sight. So today I want to acknowledge the pain that you've been going through. I want to acknowledge the injustices that have been committed against you. Perhaps you have been betrayed by somebody that you love very much, like in the case of Joseph. Perhaps you have been abused and hurt by the people you trusted the most. And I want to say that that is evil and it does not come from God. However, I want you to consider the story of Joseph. And in it, God tells us that he can turn the sins that were committed against us, he can turn them into good. So don't give up. Don't give up serving the Lord. Do not withhold the gifts that the Lord has given you from the people of God, even in the midst of pain. Do not wait until you're through, and do not wait until you are not broken anymore, and do not wait until things are all better and everything is okay. No. You can serve the Lord while you're broken. You can serve the Lord even while you're bleeding. You can offer the gifts that the Lord has given you to the church even while you're limping. Because guess what? All of us are limping from somewhere. So do not withhold what the Lord has given you for the rest of the church. Now, the second thing that we can learn from Joseph's life is that fruit is most noticeable in parched land. What do I mean by that? Can I have the pictures up? I took this in Israel, too. And I was, we were driving down. That's the other tour bus in front of us. And I saw that patch of green over there. And you see how noticeable that is? Because everything else is brown, Right? <laughs> Can I have the other picture? Now, I took this in Puerto Rico at Christmas time. Yes, people, this is what Christmas is really like. <laughs> Wonderful warmth and no snow. Gorgeous. And so you can see all the green and the ocean to the end. I was looking from a very high up in the mountains. And so if I tell you to spot a very specific fruit tree in there, you're going to have a very hard time. Because everything is green. 
Now go back, uh, go back to that other picture. But if I tell you to spot a fruit tree here, you can easily see it, right? Because everything else is dry. So let's consider Joseph. Do you think his work and his faithfulness were noticeable? Of course they were. He was a slave. Yet everything he did, he did with diligence. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God was on him. And the Bible says that everything he touched was blessed. The Bible says that his master was blessed on account of him. So I bet you that the people around him, of course, they noticed. Even Pharaoh said that the Spirit of God was on him. And I'm going to ask you, do you know people like this? I bet you do. These are the kind of people that you wonder how they are still standing with everything going on. You wonder how is it that your friend, you know, she got, maybe got diagnosed with cancer, had an accident, had trouble with the kid, and somehow she still finds time to serve in the church and to pray and to do all these other things. And you're wondering, I don't know how this woman is still standing. Or perhaps you have another friend that lost his job and is struggling, yet somehow they're still able to pray and come before the Lord. And you're wondering, how is it that this person is still standing? I will submit to you that God has made them fruitful in the land of their suffering. So, again, I want to, to tell you also about another example of this. I saw this in my professors at Trinity this, um, this semester, taking you back to that story I started with at the beginning. COVID-19 hits, and I was, you know, the university was closed. We were shifting to go online. I was able to stay in my dorm. But my roommates, I have one roommate from Japan and another one from, um, her parents lived on, in Utah. So they, they left, and I was alone in my dorm, trying to finish up the semester, desperately looking for some kind of employment, um, and... It was rough because I had no human contact for weeks, and I'm an extrovert in case you didn't notice. Um, I love people. I really do. And so I, it was hard. But in the midst of all that, I also have more time to just sit in the presence of God and pray. And I found myself thinking of, of others quite a bit. I was thinking about my fellow students, especially the international students who probably couldn't make it home and who lost a lot of the campus jobs that they rely on. I was thinking of all my professors. Many of them are not exactly technologically savvy. They had to go and do all the classes online all of a sudden. And I started praying for them and asking the Lord to give me words of encouragement for them, some prophetic words, whatever he wanted. Let me tell you, not, not, not all of them believe exactly on the prophetic situation. So I asked the Lord to help me and give me wisdom. And I started typing emails and sending it to them. And let me tell you, they all got prophesied over whether they knew it or not. <laughs> and so uh, we kept encouraging people. And I encouraged myself. The Lord encouraged me in doing that so much because blessing others, that's, that's the result of it. And I also saw it in my professors. I saw my professors just rise up to the occasion. I saw their pastoral gifts and care and giving gifts come up. 
I had one professor that would email us just frequently to ask us if we were okay, if we needed anything, and how he could pray for us. And I knew, I knew that he was praying for us individually, for each one of our needs. And I saw how the leadership just gathered together and started asking the neighboring churches to raise funds to support our international students in the midst of all that suffering. So in the midst of so much darkness and so much hardship, I was seeing how God was gardening in my professors. I I was thinking, God, I hope they can see this. God was doing something in them, awakening all of those pastoral gifts. God was doing something in me. He was making us all fruitful in the middle of suffering. So friends, perhaps you're here today and things were hard even before COVID started. And after COVID started, it has been really even more difficult. I want you to know that your perseverance and faithfulness in serving the Lord has not escaped His sight. And I want you to open your eyes and see what the Lord has done in you during this time. Perhaps you have noticed that you have grown in kindness. Maybe you have become more merciful. You have become more aware of your neighbors because now their very well-being and health depends on you being careful. Perhaps you have become more aware of people around you that you didn't know. So the Lord has made you fruitful in the time of your suffering. The third thing that we can learn from Joseph's life is about the blessing of hindsight. So Joseph did his job, right? He stored up food during those seven years of plenty. And the Bible says that he stored so much that he stopped counting because he was, well, this is hopeless, so much. And the whole world came to him to buy food. And included in that whole world was Joseph's family. Remember his brothers who sold him into slavery? And at some point, Joseph decided to disclose his identity to his brothers. And the Bible says that they were terrified in his presence because they, know, they knew the wrong that they had done to his brother, to their brother. And listen to what Joseph responded in Genesis 45, verses 4 through 7. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So Joseph was able to see the wisdom and providence of God, even in the midst of these difficult circumstances. You know what? If Joseph hadn't been in Egypt and been appointed as prime minister, his family would have perished. And you know who Joseph's family was? They were the 12 tribes of Israel. And from that same family came the Messiah. If the family of Joseph would have perished, we would all have been in big trouble. Because we all need Jesus desperately. So it was God's providence and mercy, even when it was difficult to understand. Now, can I have that other picture? All right. This was also taken in Israel. 
And this is the wilderness of Zin. And you can see this beautiful canyon. And I was contemplating it before I found out that we will have to climb it. Have mercy, God. And can I have the other picture? Look at how steep that thing is. That was brutal. But it was good. Because apparently I needed to tell you this today. <laughs> so they had given us two options. Go back. Um, they had given us two options. We could either go to the top on the bus or we could climb up all those steps. There were a lot of steps, people, a lot of steps. And I thought, I didn't know what to do, and Pastor Greg decided to come and ask me what I was going to do. And I said, oh, maybe I'll take the bus. And he said, no. Can you believe this guy? <laughs> he looked at me square in the eye and said, no, what? No, you're not taking the bus. I'm like, you know I'm an adult, right? I can make my own decisions. But apparently, I, I was not allowed to take the bus. So in respect for my elders, I decided to climb. <laughs> I'm going to pay for this later. Um, I, decided, I decided to climb up. And about every few minutes or, or so, Pastor Greg kept asking me, do you hate me yet? Do you hate me yet? Do you hate me yet? And as much as I hated to admit it, I was actually kind of enjoying myself. Well, together with the panting and the gnashing of teeth. But <laughs> I, was, I was enjoying myself because, you know, as, as I climbed up, I discovered all sorts of new friends. I discovered some caves that were there along the way. There were some beautiful rest areas like this next picture. Would you show it? That's Pastor Greg and Gordon and a whole bunch of from here, from City Church. And you can see as we climbed up and you turn back, you could see the landscape kind of unfolding as you climbed up. And um, I decided we needed to take a picture in, in here. And you can see how the, the landscape is different right there in the back, how there is a rest area. So I discovered all sorts of interesting things um, as I was climbing up. And the next picture... That's me on the top. I never take selfies. I really don't like them. I don't understand why people take them. But I thought that this occasion deserved one. <laughs> I made it to the top, praise the Lord. And so <clears throat> you can see how, like, you can see so far away. And I was enjoying the view. And when we got back to the bus, I, we had you know, I had time to journal when I was on the bus, and that's pretty much what I did the entire trip. I journaled. And as I reflected on this, the Holy Spirit asked me a very simple but profound question. Nidiaris, what would have happened if you had taken the bus? I was like, what? I would have enjoyed the AC. <laughs> but I would have also missed the caves, the rest spots, the landscape unfolding be before me. I would have missed meeting new friends along the way. I would have missed so much. And he said, exactly. The journey to the top was hard. But now that you have hindsight, you can see that I provided friends like Pastor Greg, that also annoying. He kept encouraging you. <laughs> he kept encouraging you and pushing you forward. 
I also provided rest areas of refreshment and blessing for you. I also provided beautiful landscapes and views where you saw the landscape unfolding as you climbed up. So I gave you clues along the way. I also provided surprises for you, caves and all sorts of fun things for you to delight in. And then you got to enjoy that gorgeous view with gratitude and knowledge of the journey. Do you, my daughter, understand my faithfulness now? I don't always take you out from difficult situations, but I show myself faithful every single time. Every single time. Friends, I do not know exactly where the Lord is taking me. I, I'm telling you, I have no idea. All I know is I love to preach the Word of God. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love to teach. And I love to be in His presence. Th that much I know. I don't know what after school looks like. I don't know anything. But one thing I do know is that when I look back in my life, I can see all the people that God used to train me, I can name them for you. And they didn't know they were training me for this. They thought they were training a scientist. But let me tell you, everything that they taught me, all that public speaking training I got, supposedly because I was supposed to be giving scientific talks, all of the things that they taught me worked just fine for ministry. Or for this form of ministry. I do think my job was a ministry too. But I also know that the reason that I'm in seminary now, I, w I wonder that many times. Because let me tell you, we could have saved like 10 years of school and a lot of time if I had gone before. I have asked that question, God, you could have, we could have cut to the chase right then and there. <laughs> but you know what happened? You know, I've been doing a lot of soul, soul searching. It's not, how can I explain this? I knew that I had these gifts of speaking and leadership and other things. Since I was a kid, I preached my first sermon when I was 12. So clearly other people knew something that I didn't know back then. I should have listened to them. <laughs> um, so I knew I had these gifts. And then I moved to the States, and I often wonder what happened to all those things. But you know what God, in his mercy, said? You weren't ready, girl. You were not ready. Your character wasn't ready. Why not? Well, you were prideful, self-righteous, self-reliant. I mean, the list goes on and on. I could just keep going. You didn't understand. You had to learn about the culture. How am I going to serve at North American church, if I don't know who they are. It took me years to understand you guys. <laughs> I'm still trying, just so you know. Really hard. Um, so how am I going to serve you if I don't understand? I needed to be shaped. I needed to be formed. I needed to be trained. I wasn't ready. And let me tell you something. Had I stepped in at that time, the, the spotlight would have burned me out. Because there is a responsibility that comes with being here. And unless I could handle the responsibility and the weight that comes with preaching the word of God, I better not do it. Back then, I wasn't ready. I couldn't withstand that. I, couldn't, I didn't have the, the character and the backbone that it took to take that responsibility. 
the Lord is like, well, now that's why you are in seminary now. Because it turns out scientists did a really good job at training you for this. Perseverance, gnashing of teeth, <laughs> disappointment, frustration, all that is included in science. And all that is included in ministry as well. So, my friends, it was for the saving of many lives that the Lord had called Joseph. And then his suffering was not wasted. So I want you to know that your suffering is not wasted. And that someday, we will have a mountaintop view of what the Lord has done in your life. So now, if you will stand up with me, the worship team can come up. I want you to think about all of your suffering, all of the things that just have been so difficult. And I want us to have a time of lament. We don't always do that very often at church, but I think it's really healthy. And so did the psalmist. So if you would stain your hands, Lord, this morning we are aware of our suffering and our pain. And we lament everything, all the injustices that have been done to us. We lament the abuse and the scars that it left. We lament the betrayal of those that were closest to us. And we weep and cry before you for mercy. Father, and I pray this morning for my brothers and sisters, for myself, that you do not let us hold offense. Father, don't let us hold on to bitterness. And I feel like I need to tell someone that you do not have the right to hold on to bitterness. Because there is healing in the head of God for you. Father, don't let us hold on to bitterness. Don't let, us hold, don't let us hold on to resentment. Father, would you come and heal, Lord Jesus? Would you come and heal with your balm? Would you come and heal the areas that need healing? And we pray, Lord, that you will help us see your hand through it all. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would lead us to green pastures to rivers of living water. Father, and I pray this morning the rest and shalom of God over my brothers and sisters. Rest now in Jesus' name. Rest of God. Shalom of God. rest over you this morning and rest over you on Monday and rest over you on Tuesday and on Wednesday Thursday Friday morning and night you shall be blessed and you shall walk in the shalom of God we thank you God for your goodness and mercy in Jesus name Amen